Good morning. The theme of chapel this week is the gift of loneliness. And that may feel odd to link those two words together, loneliness and gift. And this topic was chosen back in May. So at the end of last school year, it was a looking ahead and prayerfully placing this topic at this time. Because this is the time loneliness can set in, especially for incoming students. But even for those of you who are returners, it can be a time of there's a settling, been here for a couple of weeks now and feeling alone. Where do I fit? So today, I'm gonna to be talking about loneliness and the gifts that can emerge from loneliness. And tomorrow there'll be a panel where there'll be two people talking about their practice of intentional loneliness, also known as solitude. And then on Wednesday, you'll have living space chapel. So you will gather by where you live. Commuters will gather in this room. The other spaces will be posted. And then Thursday will be a prayer chapel. So again, you may be wondering about this link of the word loneliness and gift, but I promise you we will get there. But first we're gonna talk about the pain and the difficulty of loneliness. All you have to do is Google it. You Google the word loneliness, you'll find lots of information, most of it from a very negative point of view. But there are hints of gifts in words like solitude, aloneness, standing apart, seclusion, isolation. But that word loneliness, it can stir up immediate involuntary thoughts and emotions. We may even try to shove them back down. Like the minute we hear the word lonely and even take in that that might be a feeling that we're feeling, we might try to shove it down. So right from the start, I wanna say a couple of things. One, I wanna normalize it. We all feel it. There is nobody in this room that is exempt from feeling lonely at any given time. It's a very common emotion. But what I do wanna say is there's a type of loneliness that is not healthy and can drive us to behaviors that are uh, self-destructive. And so if you feel a loneliness that leads to hopelessness, a loneliness that leads to despair, that is not something to just press into alone. That's the time to get with a trusted friend. It may even be a time to seek counseling if that loneliness leads you to despair, and it can. So I've struggled with this topic. Like I said, it's, it, it was May that we first prayerfully decided to include this topic at this time. And I was seeking an outside speaker. Jenna and I were both looking for outside speakers. We couldn't find someone who was going to have a balanced view. It was either somebody that was gonna look at only the benefits or somebody that was gonna look only at the psychological implications. And so in a moment of weakness, I foolishly said, I'll do it. <laughs> and part of the reason that I said I'll do it is because I've struggled with loneliness. And so it was a, it was a moment of saying, if I'm gonna ask you to be real, I need to be real. Many people see me as an extrovert. I am not. I am an introvert. I'm an outgoing introvert. 
but introversion and extroversion isn't about being with people um, and being outgoing. It's about where do you get energized? When you're tired and you need to refuel, where do you go? So extroverts are energized in the company of other people. Introverts are inter in energized by being alone. I am an introvert. And sometimes people think, well, introverts are just automatically lonely, isolated people. That's not true. Can be. Introverts can be subject to morbid introspection. Deep dive into thought. And even confuse that with solitude and being with God. And it's not. It just means that we're alone with our thoughts. But there was a time when I experienced a loneliness that drove me to hopelessness and despair. And it was before I knew God. I knew about God. I knew a lot of details about God, but I did not know God. Knowing God and knowing God, two different things. And I did not know God. And I was hopeless. And I thought a lot about not being here, literally. And the only thing that kept me from suicide was thinking about how it would impact my parents. And I could not put them through that. And it was a long journey to wholeness. And I didn't do it alone. I sought help. And it was a long road back. But it was a road back. And I stand before you, a woman who has experienced and does experience the deep love of God. A love that transformed my life. And it didn't mean my life was easier. In fact, my life got harder after I came to know God. But I'm jumping ahead in the story. So even positive change can bring feelings of loneliness, like attending university, being away from family and friends, studying abroad, even graduating will bring feelings of loneliness. The community that you've developed here will change, and that can bring feelings of loneliness. Uh, moving to a new place, a new job, a ministry opportunity, even a marriage. Uh, people think a good reason to get married is that so you'll never feel lonely. You can feel very alone uh, in a marriage, even a healthy marriage, because even though you become one flesh, you are still two souls. Adding children to a family can be lonely. I remember after having my son, and then I did a home daycare for a while, my father called me one day, and I must have been talking a mile a minute, and he said, are you lonely for adult conversation? I said, yeah, I've just talked to kids all day. So even the beauty of having children can bring a loneliness. Good things. But then loss, loss of a relationship, uh, illness can be extremely isolating and lonely. Some symptoms of mental illness, like depression, are intensified because of loneliness. Jobs, losing a job and the community formed in a, in a workplace can bring loneliness. Another bringer of lonely feelings can be this, technology. And I'm not a hater of technology. I love technology. I'm a closet geek. Not really closet. I mean, I love technology. But I find myself sometimes texting when I could just as easily pick up the phone. And sending a text is different 
than having a conversation and having that immediate interchange and hearing the warmth in a person's voice. So especially for you incoming students, I'm gonna to talk to you for a couple of minutes. Having technology at your fingertips that links you back to home, back to high school friends, back to parents, where you can immediately text or call can actually prevent you from forming community here. And that's true for all of us, but especially for those of you who are incoming and maybe struggling with where do I fit. You don't really have to fit when you've got your phone. You can immediately be texting, connecting with people and have a foot in both worlds and never land. Because sometimes feelings of loneliness force us into having connection with people, especially those that are shy, not outgoing. Having that phone and making those connections that way instead of human in-person connections, that's when technology gets in the way. But it is hard to admit that we're feeling lonely. Who wants to say I'm lonely? Most of us don't. We struggle with admitting it to ourselves, never mind admitting it to somebody else. And part of the reason, I will speak for myself, immediately there was a link between my feelings of loneliness and identity. So if I'm lonely, I must be defective. If I'm lonely, I must be undesirable. If I'm lonely, I must be unlovable. It can be a downward trajectory really quickly. So I wanna read uh, a passage of scripture about a person that I imagine was lonely. And I'm gonna be reading from Luke 19, and this is the story of Zacchaeus. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. I'm gonna pause for a minute. We can easily just zoom right past the word tax collector, but in that day, you wanna talk about a lonely person? Nobody wanted to be around the tax collectors. They were hated, they were vilified, and with good reason. And so they were lonely, isolated people. And so here's Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector in the region, he had become very rich, which means probably not by honest means. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. Ah, he's gone to the guest, be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and he said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, salvation has come to this house today. So let's notice a few things. Jesus went to the home of Zacchaeus, invited himself to the home of Zacchaeus before Zacchaeus made a change. He didn't wait for Zacchaeus to get cleaned up. He didn't wait for Zacchaeus to say, I will give back 
this money that I've stolen. Jesus went to his home first. There's something about being noticed for who we are, flaws and all, to be seen and accepted that somebody wants to be with us that was healing. And it was healing for Zacchaeus. And it did, he made a radical change. And that word salvation, we think of salvation from sin. When we really look at that word salvation, yes, that is a beautiful part. It's a beautiful part of the gospel where you're saved from sin. We're also saved to some things. Wholeness. Healing. Our emotions are healed. So when Jesus said salvation has come to this home today, there was a restoration that happened. And that's what we experienced. So denying feelings and emotions isn't the answer. It's damaging on multiple levels, relational, emotional, physical, and spiritual. Physically being lonely, physical stuffing down of emotions, those emotions are gonna come out one way or another. And it often can uh, end up in illness. I experienced that. Denying emotions, including loneliness, is not the model we find in Jesus. He freely expressed his emotions, and I'm going to read a few with the verses attached. Jesus shed tears. We read that in Luke 14, Luke 19, verse 41. He was filled with joy, Luke 10:21. He was overwhelmed with grief, Mark 14, 34. He was angry and distressed, Mark 3, 5. He was sorrowful and troubled, Matthew 26, 37. His heart was moved with compassion, Luke 7, 13. He expressed amazement in Mark 6 and in Luke 7. And he felt anguish in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Luke 22, verse 44. So Jesus was not emotionally cold. He did not stuff his emotions. Throughout his life, we see a very human Jesus. The writer of Hebrews tells us why. I'm going to read some passages from Hebrews 2 and 3 and then chapter 13. Starting with chapter 2, verse 11. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. For he said to God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. He also said, I will put my trust in him. That is, I and the children God has given me. Therefore, it was necessary for him, Jesus, to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are tested. And so, dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those called to heaven, think carefully about this Jesus, whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest. Christ, as the Son, is in charge of God's entire house. And we are God's house if we keep up our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. 
That is why the Holy Spirit says, today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. And then we fast forward to chapter 13, verses 5 and 6 referenced encouragements from Deuteronomy and Psalms. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. So there's the gift that can emerge with loneliness, friendship with God. That's the gift. Right in the middle of the pain of feeling lonely is the promise that God is with us always. When we feel lonely, we may be out of touch with God and experience ourselves anxiously looking for someone or something to fill that void. The key is not to run from it. The key is to recognize that there is a void. This type of loneliness can be the gateway to the gifts that emerge, a deepening friendship with God. And we often talk about having a relationship with God. But let's define that relationship. Do you see what I did there? DTR, define it. Define the relationship. It's a friendship. It's a friendship with God, not an abstract relationship. In John 15, in those hours before his, his death, Jesus said, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in slaves. Now you are my friends. Human friends can't make us feel accepted all the time. Accomplishments will never make us feel secure. Having lots of people around doesn't mean we won't ever feel lonely. So we turn to Emmanuel, God with us. And when we draw close to Jesus, he can help us separate rock-solid truth from our ever-shifting emotions. So now I want to talk about a last area of loneliness that we can feel. Many types, but I, I just want to focus on this one. An invitation from God or a calling can bring loneliness. Because sometimes God whispers something to you. And he hasn't whispered that to somebody else. And it's something for you to carry. And it can be lonely because somebody else might not understand. In fact, somebody else might actually try to talk you out of it. Because it doesn't make sense to them. Because God hasn't whispered it to them. Now, those of you who have been around here long know that I am a Lord of the Rings fanatic. I wave that flag proudly. So, yes. My tribe, my tribe. So one of the scenes in Lord of the Rings that I reflect on often is the scene where Frodo now understands that there's something about this ring. And Gandalf tells him, hold it secret, hold it close. Hold it secret, hold it close. 
And that's what some of us have to do with a dream. Because a dream exposed to the light of other scrutiny can actually be a dream killer or a dream stuffer. So sometimes what God whispers to you in your times of solitude is not for you to share with anybody else until it's time. Hold it secret, hold it close. Our identity as children of God, our vocation as followers and imitators of Christ, never are we more Christ-like than when we explore and we appreciate his life. And often we fast forward to his death. And that's how we receive salvation. But his life is recorded for a reason. Intimate details about his life are recorded to give us hope. We see struggles. We see Jesus' emotions. Don't gloss over those. They will give you strength when you're struggling with what do I do with them? And is this even God if I have these emotions? Does this mean I'm an immature believer? No, it means you are human. And that is something we are to embrace. We are to embrace our humanity. I read it in Hebrews. We have a savior who embraced his humanity so he could be like us and experience everything that we've experienced so that he would know firsthand what it's like to walk this earth and experience the pain and the joy of humanity. I want to read just something short by um, a man named Eric Leroy Wilson who wrote about loneliness, and he calls it the press of loneliness. Jesus knows what loneliness feels like. Loneliness colors so much of his time at the Mount of Olives. His closest friends fall asleep on him in the midst of his deepest sorrow. His most committed followers scatter and leave him upon his arrest. Jesus gets my loneliness. I think this is the first time I've admitted my loneliness. I am so thick with rich community, it seems almost a travesty to admit its existence. But I'm finally coming to grips with the fact that loneliness is not about having a necessary number of key relationships in your life. I think it's something more. And he writes, I sit with so many lonely people in my practice, most of them millennials who are surrounded by laughing acquaintances, helicopter parents, and thousands of friends or followers and the like on social media. But in the light of our day, we sit in the sticky darkness of their loneliness together and I'm honored to hold vigil with them there because journeying into the dark of their loneliness, bearing witness to their grief, serving as wet nurse to their tears offers rich wisdom. For many, loneliness is a product of this age marked by fear. Politicians use fear to solidify their base. Advertisers use fear to peddle their useless wares. But when you grow up with that much fear in the atmosphere, the walls get higher, locks get stronger, and subsequently loneliness gets thicker. Everyone is so certain about everything, and with certainty comes animosity towards those who are certain about the opposing position. We've created a world of us versus them for a generation hungry to understand with, and connect with the them. 
This generation is also caught in the comparison trap. So many find worth by comparing themselves to others. From body types to social media acceptance, comparison is the means for worth, but is also the path to superficial community and the loneliness spreads. It makes sense that Jesus experiences loneliness on the Mount of Olives in a place called Gethsemane. The word Gethsemane actually means place where olives are pressed. Jesus experienced profound loneliness in a place where olives are crushed and pressed under huge stones meant to extract their oil. The press extracted needful things from the olives. And while I hate my loneliness and despise the hurt that it causes those whom I care for, I can say if I handled well loneliness can extract some useful things from us as well. The press of loneliness can foster tender hearts and deep character, as well as a thirst and hunger for justice. The press of loneliness can pull us from things that can light dark places, heal fresh wounds, and satisfy those desperate to be fed. So I will bear this grinding loneliness comforted by two things. Jesus gets the press, and Jesus gets to use what that press gets out of me. So beloved, let's not waste loneliness. There are gifts that can emerge from it. Again, for those of you in this room right now who feel hopeless or despair, please, please talk to someone. There are student life deans that are available. Counseling services is completely confidential. So please seek help if it leads you to despair, but it can also lead you into a deeper and rich friendship with God that is life-changing. Let's pray. Lord, for the rest of this day and for every day, when we feel lonely, when we start to pull away, remind us that you are Emmanuel and help us to be with you, the God who is always, always with us. We love you, Lord. In your name, amen.